You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. We'll be talking about cider today and recording remotely. Uh, it's Tuesday, October 25th, 2022, and I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Heritage Radio Network. So let's go around the room and introduce our guests. We are going to have a deep dive into cider uh, with our two guests. So first, Gideon. Uh, sure. My name is Gideon Call. Uh, I, um, I, I'm the founder of Original Sin which I started 26 years ago in the streets of New York. Uh, and we, I also have an orchard on my family's old dairy farm in upstate New York. It's a two-acre orchard featuring 150 varieties of apples. That's great. And then, and Damon? Yeah, I'm Damon Sawyer. I'm the head guy behind the Bone and Bottle Reviews page on Instagram and Facebook. I travel around the U.S. and Canada, mostly the Northeast, reviewing cider, going to cideries, learning about orchards and apples. And then I also check out chicken wing joints on the way in between. (laughs) That's the bone part, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh, good. Well, what, you know, it's this time of year. It's to most people, they think of fall for cider. Um, And, you know, between the cider weeks that New York State does, the cider feast that I do, um, Franklin County Cider Day is coming up in Massachusetts. I guess we can say that this is cider season. Um, so we're going to try to dive in a little deeper, talk about things like why cider and, and how you guys got started. I'd like to do a little intro with, with Guidon because what's cool is I met you probably, I don't know, over 20 years ago at one of my previous bars in New York City. And you were trying to sell me cider in a can. And we had a lot of lively conversations back then. What Just give everyone that little original sin cider 101 why'd you start selling cider back in the 90s uh sure and actually i remember the first time we met jimmy um and i remember uh coming in and speaking to you and you uh, uh, immediately being very intrigued by the category which obviously is held up till this day and you've become a huge advocate for all of us so it's, it's greatly appreciated um so my story probably goes back to you really, you know, go back to even 1990. The first time I ever had a cider was in a pub called the Bleecker Street Bar, which unfortunately closed down a couple of years ago. I was there and a friend introduced me to cider. He said, you got to try this. And it was it was a woodpecker cider at the time. At this time, uh, Balmers, uh, even though Strongbow was a best-selling cider in England, they they sent over the, the cider they sent over to the, the States at that point was woodpecker because they thought that Americans had a sweeter, uh, a nature towards sweeter products. And as such, Woodpecker was a cider that if you saw ciders in bars, that was the one you saw. And I tried it and I thought it was good, but I thought it was a little too sweet. And over the next few years, I kept on seeing a couple ciders every now and then, and they oftentimes were too sweet. Um, My epiphany when it came to starting Original Sin happened in 1996. I was in a pub uh, called um, The Kettle of Fish. The whole story goes into pubs in New York City, but um, 
I was in the kettlefish meeting a friend of mine named Banjo Pete, who is about to start, it wanted to start a, uh, a company in the village. And I had, I had, I was running an urban clothing company at the time and he wanted my advice. And during our discussion, we were served a pint of very sweet cider and it just sort of occurred to me, why doesn't anyone make a dry cider in this country? Obviously cider is popular all over the world. So I got access to a little, uh, winery in upstate New York and started making mixes and, you know, making, you know, also in my apartment, I went to various bars in the city, had people try it. After six months, friends of mine got sick of me hearing about it. I launched it in New York City, um, only to find that all the distributors at that point thought there was no market for cider. At that point, the crop uh, distributor of New York was was the Brooklyn Brewery. They told me that there was a product that was launched a little bit before me, which was extremely well-funded and did not work out for them. And they said to me, hey, Gidon, you have no background in the industry. You have no money. I literally started the company on $10,000. Like, we just aren't going to, it's just not going to be successful. So I went around, I literally, that's just probably when I bumped into uh, Jimmy or uh, soon after, I went bar to bar, literally walking every street in New York City, literally hundreds of times, uh, to the point where I literally memorized where every bar and every street was in Brooklyn and Manhattan. And uh, over time, I developed a really nice following, including places like CBGB's and a lot of other amazing bars. Many of them are no longer around in the East Village. And, uh, I would, it was before e I was emailing people. I was faxing one of the owners of the Brooklyn Brewery the list of accounts I had every week to show them that the product was doing well. And eventually that list got so good that Brooklyn brought me in, which was the first really big break for me. And, uh, you know, that was kind of when, you know, Original Sin took it to a little higher level. You know, the company over the years has, you know, in the early days, probably the next really big break occurred when the New York Times lined up 21 ciders and ranked Original Sin the top American cider. And I started getting distribution in other parts of the country. What, what year was that, Gideon? Uh, that I've got, you know, I'm blanking off. It's 2001 or 2003. But it was the very first time the New York Times lined up ciders. Uh, and I got called, actually, from someone from Union Beer, a guy named Rob Hudson. Jimmy, you probably know him. He oh, called yeah, me at like legend. 6 in the morning. Yeah, telling me that Fairway wants to put stacks of my, of my product in the stores because uh, you've just been named the best American, top American cider. Um, and, you know, even as I started calling around the country to Ohio distributors, everyone else was the same thing. You know, as I'm not necessarily market for cider, but, you, you know, you are persistent. You know, you've called me a number of times and people, you know, eventually uh, took it in. And I think even in New York City, people were sort of surprised. I remember going to like a lot of uh, bars in New York City, you know, places like the Raven Cafe on, on 11th Street or Madame Max, which is still around. And people would bring it in saying, listen, I'll give it a shot. And they would come back to me shocked. Get on. People really like your product, and they, there's obviously a market for cider in this in this uh, country. Another kind of interesting thing, Jimmy, about that is uh, Brooklyn Brewery had a, had a, had also a Massachusetts wing, and after they took me in, they didn't want to take me to Massachusetts because they said there's no market for cider in Massachusetts either. But if you look today, New York State has 126 cideries, which are the most state cideries in the country. Massachusetts is obviously a huge um, haven for amazing ciders. So from two states where going back to the mid-90s, people thought there was really no market for cider, two of probably the most um, dynamic cider markets in the, in the country right now are New York and Massachusetts. Well, you know, when we first met, the conversations we had are exactly what you're saying. People are still having these conversations. Why should I have cider, you know, especially when there's things like hard, hard seltzer? Where does it fit in? And what I love seeing, especially through our events like the Cider Feast events, it's just how many people are really interested in it. And I want to just jump over to Damon. Damon, let's talk about your interest and enthusiasm for cider uh, because you're clearly 
someone that that can talk about cider. Why and how did you get interested in cider? Just to start you off, because I've I've never we've we've met actually the reason we've met is that at a couple of the cider feasts in New York City, you you've come and sampled original sin for Gideon. Oh, Jimmy, can I say one thing quickly? I know Damon very well, and there's probably no one in the country that travels more and is more passionate. Like he is ab- incredibly passionate, and he documents his travel. It's worth finding on Instagram. But he is just tirelessly an advocate for the product as well, and did an amazing job covering you know New England and and into Canada when it comes to cideries. So, oh yeah. So that we, Damon, we know that. So let's just get started. How did you get started? That's always a good starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And thanks for having me on, Jimmy. So the it started on a cold, snowy night in February 2014, I want to say, in a hotel bar in Syracuse. I was working with a couple friends at a sportsman's expo, and we had a good day selling product. And so we went to the bar, and the people who were actually across from us at the expo were the runners of the second largest private game reserve in South Africa. And they're like, hey, let's go back and forth buying each other drinks. And they're like, Damon, you can just get whatever you want. Don't worry about it, because I was the youngest one there. And I was looking at the menu, and I didn't really like beer, and I didn't want to drink. I'd love drug, like rum and coke and gin and tonics and stuff. But I'm like, if I want to drink all night, I can't drink that. So I was looking at the bar menu, and then I saw this thing called Angry Orchard, Chris Apple, And I was like, I have no idea what that is, but I'm not paying for it. So let's give it a shot. And I had seven of those by the end of the night, about 3 a.m., and that's where it kind of started. And so we got started from there. Now, back then, there wasn't much of a cider market, especially up north where I am. I'm about 50 minutes from the Canadian border near the Adirondacks, Thousand Islands. There's no cideries near us within a, about an hour or so. So the cider market's really rough up here. But I had access to like Red's Apple Ale and, and Angry Orchard and Stella and Woodchuck. And, and I tried all those that were available. And it just it kind of snowballed from there. It's like, you know, what else is there to try? And, and sweetness didn't really turn me off. I have quite a sweet tooth when it comes to candy and stuff, but I found over the years that I definitely prefer the drier ciders, but a good sweet cider in terms of like a Perry or something that has a, a good sweetness, not a fake manufactured sweetness definitely also appeals to me. So that's kind of where I got started from there. And as I've just really noticed as the years have gone on, we've really expanded here in New York, the the coverage. Like I can go to the store and I can find 1911 and some original sin, Cider Creek, Embark, we've seen Clarksburg and stuff. Now there, there's, there's more of a variety of New York ciders. Whereas, you know, before back in 2014, 15, we were getting like Thistley Cross from Scotland. And I even someone one of the distributors for the beer store in the town I lived in at the time, they got, they brought a bottle of Zephyr's slack my girdle from New Zealand, which is similar to South Hills. One of a kind had over a hundred different kinds of apples in it. And it's just like to have access to that stuff then was just absolutely mind blowing. So. Well, that's neat, man. But how, how did you, how did you start doing it in the Instagram and, you know, you're knowledgeable, but you're documenting things. Uh, when did you start doing that? So that started right about the same time because I learned, you know, because I had never heard of cider before. I had no idea what it was. I only really knew of the sweet cider that you can have in the, you know, in the stores or at your local cider mill. And once I started, you know, trying the ciders, I was like, oh, wow, you know, people should really know about this. I didn't know much about, you know, how big apples or cider, you know, could be in New York. But so I just started documenting on Facebook, you know, that 
just posting about it and just inviting my friends and family to follow the page and, and things like that. And I was more big on the wings back then, especially spicy food in general. So that was a hook to bring them in. It's like, oh, well, I'm drinking, trying this. I'm also having this cider. You should check this out. And so, how, how did so so did, to you drinking having cider with your wings? That that was. Tell, tell me about that. You know, I want to hear about it. Was it pairing? Was it just if that's what you were drinking then? Oh uh, yeah, it's it's a matter of just. It goes back to the basic concept that I don't like beer. It's not, I'm not gluten intolerant or anything. I just don't enjoy the taste of it. So like when I go to the bars and you know I'm finding you know the wings or, or wherever we go. I would look for the menu and see if they had a cider. And it's just a matter of like, hey, I went to this bar. They had this cider and they had these wings. You know, I liked this cider. I like these wings. You should try it out. And it's just a general idea of highlighting where you can find cider anywhere in the country. And and if you can't find it, I would mention that too. It's like, oh, they have wings, but no cider. So you're going to have to go somewhere else for that. But it's just trying to bring some recognition to the industry, even from a, a very basic knowledge at that point my, my knowledge is much deeper now but it was just like i want to i like this thing i want other people to like this thing so i have to but there's nowhere showing them about these things that's kind of where that had started oh yeah so back so now to gidon so gidon um 2001 or 2003 which is i love that you can't remember that <laughs> uh the new york <laughs> times said you were one of the, the top ciders in america and you started taking it's the off. price of funny 26 years in the alcohol beverage industry. <laughs> yeah, but these kinds of yeah. were. So, well, one thing about you um, is that you haven't changed. Like, you're the same guy, which is why I love you because you still go and you make sales calls. You, If you don't come to an event, you have someone there, but you, you're still – you're doing a lot of the same things that you did back then. So let's talk more about your, your how, how you're running this cider business because it, 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 it did grow. You know, yeah, you know, we are in uh, 26 states. We sold in Japan. You know, I, I, you know, the industry in in essence and every level is fascinating. You know, probably the most interesting, one of the most interesting elements, if you've been listening to Damon speak, you know, New York City cider market's so different than the market up uh, in New York near the Canadian border. And I, yeah, I do still do sales cores. There are, there are years where literally I was traveling 15 states a year, you know, going around, you know, um, and you know, preaching the gospel of cider, but it was always sort of very fascinating to me to set to sense the level of knowledge, the level of enthusiasm, the product mix, and what people were into. It changes. That's one of the thing about beverage industry is like the half life of people that go to bars, or or, the, or general knowledge in the industry can change so quickly. Um, and just seeing that evolution to me, even since the beginning, it's been it's been a, a, a wonderful ride. Just kind of experiencing. The, the growth of the category. Yeah. And then for, for me, it's like I, I saw, I remember like in t- 2011, just because of my friends I, at my old pub, Jimmy's number 43, we hosted for the first cider week, the press and trade tasting and the first organizational meeting. So again, I, I, other than one or two ciders, I didn't really know ciders. Mostly I knew uh, Domaine DuPont from France and I loved their dry ciders, but also their Pomo. So, um, I, I was ready for cider at the time. But the biggest thing was, you know, I remember when Cider Week started, we'd bring in a lot of different ciders and we'd even pour them by the glass. And then as they ran out, I didn't reorder. And then it might have been maybe six years ago, seven years ago, I decided that I was going to to change it. 
I would start having one cider on tap always, and then I could rotate through. Um, but the big change was going from having, you know, example, 12, 12 lines of draft beer to, to only 11 and, and, and having one line of cider. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about that, just how how this – like how does cider become a category that, that's taking a line? You know, start you, you start with it, Gideon, and then Damon, because th- this is really what's interesting is it took you all those years and then, wow, you're there's a line of cider at a bar now. You know, I think there, that is the case where cider in different regions is different. Like in Seattle and Portland, where cider comprises 5% of beer sales, nationally it's 1.7% of beer sales, you are more likely to see, you know, two, three, or even a, a larger amount of, of, of lines devoted to cider. You also have a lot of cider pubs successful in that portion of the country, as well as other parts portions of the country. So I think it is, you know, a reflection partially of, awareness you know distributors have and brands uh, the activity of brands um the the amount of which specific regional brands sort of touch markets the real growth in this industry right now uh you know like the recent iri data came out where cider was down six percent but you know it was pointed out the craft the craft cider is up double digits and that's been going on for a long time so in regions where there's very very strong craft breweries and certainly a whole a group of very large craft breweries it's much more likely to see two, three, four lines. You also have an issue, very quick, like DM, I'll give it to you, head it to you, up to you, but you have two real categories in cider. You have the pub style cider and 12 ounces, 16 ounce cans and on draft. And now obviously you have the more wine, you know, 750 milliliter cider, which is a kind of a different format. And maybe that's more aligned on towards obviously wine shops and agritourism. So like you're talking about two, in many ways, very different products and, and the matter they're being marketed, especially on like the pub and restaurant level. Yeah. Damon? Yeah, so I think one thing to notice or one thing to to make note of is the fact that there are some large macro breweries that do own cider wings. Like you have Boston Beer Company that has Angry Orchard and I don't know who owns Downey's Cider, but I feel like they're owned by a larger conglomerate. So you have these these huge companies that have a product different than their 12 IPAs and their 10 lagers. And so it a diversification of your draft line is a great way to bring in more customers. So when you, and then they can offer them at a, at a pretty low price because it's such a big company. So these bars, so I'd say more for like bars, they have the same options available or they see something, you know, they might get a deal on it or they might get recommended like, Oh, you know, this is so different. This is going to bring in a different crowd or like you just have the same beers. That's great. But you definitely want to have something, you know, a little different and cider can do that. So, these bars will take a chance on getting bringing an Angry Orchard or a Stella, you know, whatever your re- the regional distributor carries, and then they it'll definitely find a niche, and then people will be like, yeah, you know, I like that because it isn't a beer, it isn't whatever. I don't really think you see seltzers on tap too much, as far as I pay attention anyway. So it definitely helps bring a little diversification to your offerings. And going to what Kedon said about craft breweries, so that's where you're going to find maybe a bit different kind of cider. So. For instance, where I live right now, I live in a tiny town. There's only two bars. I doubt there's going to be any cider. But where I used to live was like 20,000, 30,000 with a, with a military base. There was a lot of bars. So there was a couple places that had Stella cider on tap for the longest time. And then they switched to Angry Orchard. And then there was another place that had like 40 draft lines and like 50 cans. They had like four different varieties of Cider Creek. And I think they had the Dry Rosé at one point. 
from Guidon, but they had a variety of stuff. And then we have a couple craft breweries there. They always carried something from one of the local cideries about an hour north of me. And then they also carried a couple cans. So definitely people who are in the drink industry appreciate different drinks so they're more willing to bring in different things because they they might know they they it's like you look like you're taking a chance but they know oh you know we get the right people in they're gonna like this they're gonna know they're gonna tell their friends and it's gonna take off from there so it's definitely two different views of big bars or little bars will take advantage of these deals from these macro breweries that have a cider wing craft breweries will t- bring in these other cideries that might be smaller but they just know what's going to pair better with their clientele so i think that's kind of a good way to look at it one very quick point i think for the first like many years i don't know jim you feel the same way or you know that that um you'd walk it i'd walk into bars and like bar sometimes bartenders would say you know cider cider whatever cider we have is going to sell i feel like i've not heard that literally for a dozen years and you know bartender uh, bar owners and managers who are obviously one of the gatekeepers in this industry have become much more discerning of what they want to carry and understanding quality which is a big deal so yeah no that's it's come a long way so let's just get a little more into specific cider so Let's go back to Damon. Damon, you're traveling the Northeast, New England, Canada. Let's talk about some of the ciders that that you're drinking and the places that you're visiting. Because I've met you a couple times in New York City, you know, pouring original scent. So let, let's go one at a time. Let's mention one cider that you, you know, either have visited or that you like to see in a, you know, on draft somewhere. Oh, oh, craft. Interesting. You know, no more Stella. We're not going to talk about Stella anymore or, <laughs> or G- General yeah. Angry Orchard. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's a tough. Uh, that's a tough. Thing you're to talk you're, about you're in because... demand, bro. I mean, honestly, like I do know that that, you know, that Saturdays want you to stop by. And I, I've seen that you've been to places like Finger Lakes. And I don't know if you go. Do you go to the Franklin County Cider Days? Uh I might be well. That's a that's a TBA, but I haven't been there yet. I haven't been there yet. Yeah. So let's so let's 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 dive. Let's pick a region with you. Dive into either Finger Lakes or Canada. What's a region that you really like? And let's talk about a couple of the cideries. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So to to get started, one of the closest areas to me that has great cider is actually Prince Edward County in Ontario. That's only. I say only about two and a half hours away. That's like the closest great area of cider and wine to me. So I would say within just a small region, you have some people that uh, that might bring some knowledge like field bird cider. A lot of people respect Ryan, who's the head cider maker there. You've got Lockmore cider. They The wife is a pommelier. She's a pommelier. There's a place I say that called Cold Creek. He's a politician who bought a vineyard and he's making like small batch cider out of like a hundred gallon drums. And they're just incredible. They have like a, a feel of like ciders from Brittany and in areas like that. So Prince Edward County is definitely one place. It's so close and it's, there's so much going on. You've got so County Prince, Cider. Wait, Prince Edward County, Ontario. We can look Ontario. that up, but Yes. What, what what is it? What is it opposite? Is it across the St. Lawrence River? Uh, it's across Lake Ontario. So you would. It's about halfway between like Toronto and the Thousand Islands. It's it's 
well, it's a little close to the Thousand Islands. About once you get into Canada, because like I said, it's about 50 minutes to Canada from me. It's about an hour, maybe a little around half down the 401 south. And then. So how do you cross over? How do you cross over? You, 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 you are in, you're in Syracuse. How do you get to this part of Canada? Yeah, I'm a couple hours north of Syracuse. So there's three crossings up because we have the St. Lawrence River right there, so it's a easy access. So you have a crossing in Augensburg, Messina, and the Thousand Islands, Alex Bay. I always go the Alex Bay route, partially because I like the bridge. I don't care for the Prescott-Augensburg bridge. That's a very long one, and it like the way it's set so the snow doesn't form during the winter, it pulls your car off to the side. It's very discerning if you don't like crossing bridges over deep water. But you've got three, those three, and there's also a ferry. If you're into that, there's a ferry that goes straight from Cape Vincent, which is a little tiny haven, to Kingston, Ontario. So there's four different ways in that area so to get over to It sounds to like we're fighting the War of 1812 all over again. <laughs> it's well, the only time I've ever heard of Kingston, Ontario. Was, there, was, there was a battle up there on during the war of 1812. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to get a sense of where you live because honestly, I don't, I've never been there. Even years ago, I was at a New York state drinks conference and they'd start talking about the thousand islands. I still don't know where that is. I remember from little house on the prairie, her dad grew up in Malone, New York. Are you anywhere near Malone, New York? Malone is about an hour and a half Northeast. ish. <laughs> so the easiest way to explain this is you go about, a little over an hour north on 81 from Syracuse, you get off at Watertown, and then you take Route 11 40 minutes north, and then you'll run to where I am. But yeah, I'm in the absolute middle of nowhere. 1911 is the closest cidery to me in the States. They are just south of Syracuse. So that's about a, well, a couple hour drive. There's a cidery in Mallorytown, Ontario called Bushel, B-U-S-L. They are actually, as the crow flies, and now distance wise the closest cidery to me they're only they're less than an, a little like an hour and a half ish away and there's then there's cannab orchard in messina that's also about a little over an hour away so those are that's those are my options if, if you look at those places on a map that that's what i have that's where i am way so for up you north. your 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 backyard is is canada ontario and yes. um what's so like let's go into i know for our regular listeners how are canadian apples different how are their ciders different I mean, were they were they thriving before? You know, did did they all just start with the craft beer era, or ha- have there been, you know, thriving c- cideries and orchards in that part of Canada for a long time? So the Ontario region is actually where the Macintosh apple was discovered. If that gives you an idea, so they they've had access to some high quality apples for a long time. And it's funny, I actually listened to your previous cider recording with the the gentleman from Quebec and Page. And he gave a great history of of the Canadian cider scene and how it got started and how we didn't. Well, so you guys, a cider Planet yeah. book with a yes. Claude Jolissier. So. Jolissier, yeah. <laughs> they uh, they didn't have prohibition, so they didn't really have that dimming of cider like we did here. So I'd say it's been pretty solid. Now, my knowledge of their history is not too great. I, I have someone right on. I could call at any time. He's the head of the Canadian Cider Association. He could tell me anything I need to know. And he's gotten me into a lot of these places. So, but yeah, so I would say like they, one of the big things about Ontario that's different than New York is most places don't sell, like you can't go to your grocery store 
and there isn't just like liquor stores. So they, the government runs everything. They have government run stores called the beer store. And then the LCBO, the liquor control board of Ontario, the LCBO is where you're going to find cider or Calvados or ice cider, any of that kind of stuff. That's where the government of Ontario allows producers to sell their ciders, wine, spirits, things like that. But the thing is that there's a high cost of getting into those buildings. So mostly what you're going to find are ciders from big distributors and producers like Molson and Coors and Labatt and their cider wings. So if you want to find the real good cider, you do have to search. But Ontario has 130 plus cideries and many of them are close to the 401, which is the main thoroughfare in Ontario. So it's not hard to find good cider right off the beaten path. So can what happens when you go to the cideries? Can you taste? Can you buy product? Oh, it's a it's exactly the same as, as any cider here in the States. Some places, you know, might just be a little hole in the wall. You just show up and give them some money. They'll give you a cider. Some places they have a tasting room. I was so additionally being the Prince Edward County that the week after I actually ended up in Niagara on the Lakes, which is probably one of the more well-known wine and cider regions in the Northeast, right by the Buffalo Niagara Falls region. And so I ended up there and there's a couple huge places with large decks and games and drafts and everything you can, you can think of. So yeah, it's, it's all, it's the same idea as in the States, just the prices look a little higher. That's, that's really the only difference I would say. That's pretty neat, man. I hadn't thought about going up to, that part of Canada, and it looks like we're going to have to do a follow-up show with you with the head of the Canadian Cider Organization. Oh, Barry would um, love to be on sure. this. Oh, yeah. Now, back, now, now so back to Gideon. So, Gideon, um, your ciders, just tell us the first cider you, you made and then just how the lineups evolved because, for example, like your Black Widow or your Dry Rosé, those have definitely been really popular in recent years at the, at the, the Cider Feast events that I run. So my original, original cider um, was a drier cider that I made in this, in this winery in uh, Orange County in Washingtonville. There was about four ciders making a cider at the time. There was very few, there's very few licenses in the whole country where you could actually make cider at that point. And sort of interestingly enough, one of the people in this making a cider was a guy named Brendan um, who run a cider called Kelly's. I don't know if you remember that, Jimmy. But uh, he got his cider into, he started uh, an Irish cider brand in this country, and he got into most all, almost all the Irish pubs in New York City. But he told me, he kept, I would go up there, and he was a really charismatic fellow. He's like, Gidon, I can't do the Irish accent, but make it dry. These sweet ciders are shit. And, uh, and he, was, he, he, had, he actually had a hugely impactful influence on me as far as the level of sweetness and dryness. Also in the beginning, I did a lot of events in galleries in New York City, and I was very, very sensitive to what people were saying. And I would do these events and I would hear people say, like in New York City, obviously as opposed to most demographic, the average person going to bars is a little older and people did not want a sweet cider. So that obviously impacted me a lot as I took the product drier and drier. Today, it is no doubt the case that um, uh, the Black Widow is sort of the lead brand. Uh, I try to do, uh, when I do fruit ciders, I try to do fruit ciders that are you know, made with high quality fruit, are you're going to get enough of that fruit, but yet still very drinkable and keeping it as dry as possible and f- fulfilling, you know, people's uh, um, uh, interest in tasting the fruit, but yet still making a refreshing drink. So that's sort of, that would sort of be my angle with making fruit ciders. Um, 
you know, and yeah, we've kind of expanded the product line. We do have a bunch of single varietals. I'm drinking right now a Northern Spy. We won uh, three gold medals at the la- 2021 uh, Glencap for some of our, our products, including our, our single varietal Newtown Pippin. So I'm very proud of the, of the single varietals. Obviously, with the single varietals, when it, uh, you know, there has to be the awareness of the apple and the knowledge base for people for that those products. Not necessarily, but it would help in terms of the popularity of those products. But I think that the more people learn about the apple and the history of apples, the more they would appreciate those sort of products. And I think with obviously 1,200 sideways and the amount of knowledge which is growing in the category, the future bodes well for you know products which are really focused on you know history, information, and quality. So yeah. So so Damon, um, you're way up by Canada, but yet you've I've met you in New York City and you've come down to the events. Um, the, you're really a, a star then. I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, what, what, what is it like when you serve? You, you've, you've poured the original sin the last couple of Cider Feast events. Just tell me about like how do you describe some of that to customers? What's the interaction like you know, w- with the customers? And, and how does it feel for you being in New York City uh, at a cider event? It's, it's actually quite interesting. So New York City – and I don't want to take this political, but like New York city isn't really viewed too fondly in these parts for a lot of people. So like thinking going down to New York city is definitely a strange idea. And people are like, Oh, what are you going to go down there for? So it is because it's a six hour drive too, but I really enjoy the cider scene that's going on and people are so passionate. And that's the thing. Like, I don't care where I'm going. Like I go to Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Boston. I don't in the middle of nowhere, some little hick town with more sheep than people. As long as people are interested about cider, that's, that's where I want to be. So going to these events, people, and of course, I have a lot of customer service experience with my previous, with my jobs. So standing in front of people and talking about something is second nature to me so that doesn't that doesn't bother me at all so it's it's really fun it's something that i'm passionate about too i'm not telling them about you know some whatever it's something that they're they're here they want to know about they mostly want to drink what i have in my hands but they also would like to know about what i'm talking about so i do find that fun and it it starts out because we have so many products gidan offers so i usually try to start with like the the macintosh or the the northern spy and then we go to that to the the dry rosé then to the Oh, the the New York Dry and the sixteen ouncer. We always leave the Black Widow for last because that's the one. It's I enjoy seeing people's eyes. Like I, they like all the ciders that they've tried, and then I give them the Black Widow, and it, either because they've heard about it and they're really anticipating trying it, or they're just you tell them it's going to be tart, it's going to be fruity, it's gonna it's like a bite, it's just going to bite your tongue, and they're like, oh yeah, okay, and then they try, it and their eyes just like widen, just like whoa, I they just weren't expecting. You cannot prepare them. For the black widow and it's just it's fantastic to to see how passionate that makes them and then many times people come up with, they'll come back a second third fourth time and and you know the what they say the the drunk mouse says what the sober heart feels and so they're like oh <laughs> this is the uh this is my f- i've been to everywhere four times this is my favorite table because you guys have the best cider and maybe i'm just not being stingy with my pores and that's also why they like coming over it's hard to say but they do enjoy the the original sin. They're taking photos of the cans. They're asking about our Instagram and our, our social media handles. And they're always asking, where can I get this? And that's the one problem because I don't know much about New York City. All I know is go to Whole Foods. That's all I know. You just go to Whole Foods. They'll have something, which we found out since there's that one across from the Union Square that they have the Dry Rosé and the Black Widow, 
we're working on trying to get like the Macintosh and the the Northern Spy and some different stores, especially up my way. But that's that's what I tell them. I, hey, I go through. Damon, yeah. you just, wait, stop for a second. You just had the best quote ever. The drunk heart says what the sober heart feels. Yeah, the, the, the drunk <laughs> mouth. Yeah, the drunk mouth says what the sober heart drunk feels. <laughs> Yo, D- Damon, actually, can, uh, you know, you know, if you don't mind talking about it, talk about. Can you talk about TCE a little bit? Because obviously that's sort of a group oh, within yeah. the category, within Cider World, which is obviously phenomenally passionate, knowledgeable, a lot of fun. And that's actually obviously we've been we've both been involved with it. So you've oh, been involved sure. much, much higher. Yeah, level. yeah. I'd love to talk about that for real quick. So yeah, and they're actually, actually they're who really got me into the cider and the, the fancier ciders, I guess you could say. So TCE stands for the Cider Exchange. So as everyone knows, shipping alcohol is a tough thing. You have to get licensing and whatnot. So what and it's ever since the pandemic has actually become easier, more places have gone out and gotten licenses. But before that, you would see a cidery in, I don't know, let's say New York and you live in Illinois, you'd see them produce a cider and market it. And it's like, wow, that sounds fantastic, but I'll never be able to try that. What the TCE is, is it's a group of people around the country who are passionate about cider and who find ways of getting cider to people in other states through a variety of methods. And you guys have Facebook. Yeah, you have, you have uh, Facebook events, right? And it's, it's, it's really close. Book. Yeah, we have Facebook events. Yeah. So th- what is this like a, a swap? Is it, it, it it's. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's swap. a swap group. Exactly. But, but the level of like knowledge and palate sophistication of the group is, is extraordinary. So. If you everybody's interested in checking out a TCE on Facebook, oh, this, so, this is cool. I think both them, you know, feel very comfortable selling people on uh, on the group. We keep that a little low key, just because it's a little like iffy about oh, sending cider to each other, like shipping alcohol in the mail as a civilian. It's just like it's one of those things like we have to keep the group private kind of thing. Like you're not just going to type TCE and find it kind of thing. You'd have to be invited, but. No, it's not like a secret or anything, but it's just one of those things like we wouldn't run ads about the group. Hey, come join us, you know, like the Chonky Cats group or whatever that Facebook sponsors kind of deal. It's it's one of those things you got to, you know, but it's fun. It's it's there's a great group of people. Yeah. Well, you're, you're acting as pri- private citizens. You're yeah. not, you yeah. know, you're not representing. But that's cool. So like, what 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 are some other sides that you've discovered that way? I mean, I, I really want to pull it out of you, Damon, because I know if I looked at Instagram right now, oh my god, yeah, I could find you know how many how many ciders have you tried? A thousand, two thousand. I mean, so I never count anything that's like a sample, like in terms of like so anything. Anytime I've gone to a cidery and I've maybe I tried eight things on tap, I would only have the one post about it. So if you look at my my page, I have uh, close to nine hundred posts, and then. I posted on another account before I realized you have to split your interests into different pages for the best algorithm feed. So I had tried a lot of cider before that, but, but for the cider exchange, I've tried stuff from California. I've tried stuff from Illinois, different places in New York, even like just because New York is such a large state, one of the heads of the TCE lives in Buffalo. And so he has access to a lot of the Western New York cideries. And so he's been able to get some stuff from me. I was able to get him some stuff from this side of Canada or, you know, New England. And we've just worked with each other to, to get ciders or like sometimes we'll go in on orders. Like one time they, they closed down, unfortunately, the beginning of this year, but there was a bottle shop in the UK called Scrattings and they shipped 
English cider to the U.S. And so a few people went in on an order from them and they were able to get like some Pilton's and some Nightingale and some Oliver's and things that you would never, ever be able to get in the States. They were able to get some of that. So that was just like a cool collaboration that we did with each other and just things like that. So I, but I've been able to try a lot of ciders from around the U.S. and beyond just from what people had in their stash that they, that they sent over. And Damon, some of the cool people involved included like uh, Chuck uh, Sheldon from Albemarle Cider Works. Oh, uh, yeah. We got some really, really cool cider personalities in that group. Yeah. And Ron Sensone, obviously, from Spoken Spy. So we got we to give them some props. Oh. So. Hey, guys, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Join us and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. There's over 30 podcasts each week, the world of food, drinks, farming, and more, Heritage Radio Network. Org. All right. We're talking about cider. We're going really crazy talking about cider in Canada and uh, the founder of Original Sin Cider. So we've got Guidon and Damon. So Guidon, uh, when, when Damon was talking about the Black Widow cider by Original Sin, uh, he really perked up. What is the Black Widow? I've, I've noticed at events that people seem to really remember it. You know, it is a, a blackberry cider. I think a few of the things that work for it is that when you use fruit insider, if you can use a fruit with some tannins, some acidity, the key to make a really good fruit cider is having a really balanced product. And blackberries work just really well with that. I think there's a lot of uh, fruits you add that are just too singular and just don't make interesting ciders. So the nicest compliment we get with the Black Widow is that it tastes like a Lindemann's Frambois. When I started this company in 1996, I remember getting a book about the 50 best beers in the world and seeing like Lindemann's like three of the top 50. This is like before the craft beer industry kind of blew up, like three or four of the top 50 beers were Lindemann's. So when people say that, I was like, wow, that's quite an amazing compliment. I'm not saying that we deserve it, but um, but it is good that people might think, at least think in that way. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a blackberry cider with sort of nice complexity. So, but now, Guidon, so you're not getting you're not getting overwhelmed, sweetness. Yeah. Well, how about this in terms of like how consumers and marketing's evolved for cider? Yeah. Like you're even saying when yeah. you started, it used to be compared to beer or sold through beer distributors, but now, do you have to reference beer at all when you're selling cider? Because I don't think of it as I feel like its own category, and and people know that. It's absolutely its own category, but I would say that there is certainly a very different challenges now to the beginning because now you have 1,200 cideries, you know, probably what tens of thousands of cider skews. So it does become very challenging to make a product that, you know, obviously you want to start with a high, really high quality product, but that a product that people are going to, you know, uh, uh, sort of by nature, uh, 
want to try and and and, and order again. So it, it it is challenging, but challenging in very different ways today than it once was. So yeah, and and how, how do you? I mean, what what's your research that you do as you develop a product? Because you know, you're shipping in different states. The best research you could possibly do is to be on the streets. Uh, and so, like, I feel very fortunate that, like, I probably in my 26 years walked the streets for this category more than anybody. And just naturally, by being out there, you 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 understand the, the, the you know, what's going on. And obviously, you inherently want to make a product that speaks to you as well. So you have to couple those two things. That's great. So, so um, either for you or Damon, let's let's talk about your your Apple project. Um, sometimes I've heard it called Hudson Valley Apple Project. What is it? Damon, you, you were there. Tell us about the experience and why does it exist? Oh, sure. Yeah. So it's a fantastic little facility. So on, I believe it was Guidon's parents or grandparents' land. He bought this and he put up a couple acres worth of experimental trees. He's got over 100 diff- 150 different varieties of apples. Most of them are cider specific or they're just not really apples you would find in the store that you'd want to, you know, just pick and eat things like that. But he it just grew out of his passion for cider and just trying to find, you know, the quality apples to make the best cider and just to share all these rare, interesting apples. He's got apples that grow like a star. He's got ones that grow like a pear, that ones that taste like a pineapple is just it goes on and on many red flesh varieties. So it's just, it's just an experience to walk through. And he's such a wealth of knowledge. Like you can spend an hour in each row, just talking about one or two trees within that row. It's just, it's just an awesome experience. And he does do tours every Saturday. You just got to email the Hudson Valley Apple project and, and set that up and he can take care of you. But it's, it's just a great place to go and learn about apples and to see all these apples that just, you would never see in the store. It just blows people's minds of what apples can be. Uh, yo, David. Thank, yo, thank, thanks for saying that. But actually, what how you know, that last line is kind of like maybe the mission statement of like you know what apples can be. Um, the intent was like you know in this country, twelve apples represent eighty eight percent what's sold in supermarkets. The average Americans had eighty six varieties of apples in their lifetime, but there are over seventy five hundred varieties of apples uh, today. Probably a larger number than that. But let's just call it seventy five hundred. At the peak of the golden age of pomology in America. There were as many as 20,000 known varieties. Many of them have been lost to history. But so when was the, this? Like I was, 1890? Um, uh, golden Age of Pomology is 1805 to 1905. And the, the, the peak of the Golden Age is considered to be right before the Civil War. So at the time, like almost every community in this country that grew apple, could grow apples grew apple with civic pride. Like I, apple near like Damon, not that close to Damon, but like in East Bloomfield, New York, you had the Northern Spy Apple. And as you enter North, uh, New, East Bloomfield today, you'll see a plaque saying East Bloomfield, the home of the Northern Spy Apple. And there'll still be a monument uh, marking the, 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 the spot of the original tree. You have to understand when we were an agrarian nation, there was nothing that we're more proud of than the apples grown in this country. And I think until 1860 something, maybe it was a little before that, literally 80% of what nurseries sold in horticulture to some extent was synonymous with apple growing because the majority of what nurseries sold in this country were apples. So we had this like incredible diversity 
But in the 80s, you got to a point where I think 75% of apples grown in Washington State were red delicious. I think almost 50%, 43% of apples grown in this country were red delicious. So you go from this amazing diversity to what it had become at the, the lowest point of apples. But that is changing. And I think, I think you, Jimmy, know as you go to the Union Square Farmers Market or anyone who goes to farmers markets, like diversity is definitely on the rebound. And you can tell this one of the best ways of telling this is looking at nursery catalogs. And people do catalog this. One of the most famous catalogs is the William Prince Nursery, which originates in Queens, New York. I think at the peak in 19, 1830, there were as many as 430 apples being offered. You know, uh, that number comes down, declines, declines to the point where, you know, as of 40, 50 years ago, the average nursery was offering 15 varieties. But that's definitely, as you go and look at nurseries like the Cummins Nursery in Ithaca, New York, or Fedco or Trees of Antiquity, you have phenomenal diversity, which people are planting again. So, Wow. And then when, when you guys come to an event like Cider Feast or the Union Square Green Market, you're doing apple education. Just just run run through maybe 10 of the different types of apples that you have at these events. You know, we can't, I can't limit it to 10, ten yo, because I only like getting just into tell our me the orchard, names. Like, There's so many. Yeah, yeah. But tell me the names I, of so many apples. Say, like, uh, getting into our orchard is like getting into like uh, Ivy League school because we only select apples for our orchard if there's something really remarkable about them. But there is hard to do because their apples are great early year ap- early harvest apples, late harvest apples, apples of historic significance. So it's almost impossible to say ten apples that define what our orchard is. But it's really once again, like Damon said, it's really about diversity and pushing the envelope of what people think an apple could taste like or look like and also the history because you have apples grown by thomas jefferson and george washington you have the first apples named in this country um so just just, the history of our country is really attached to the history of apples in this country tell them about the turkish apple yeah so we have a turkish apple named kandil snap which is very conical and um, it's just a beautiful conical apple. I remember doing the Union Square Farmers Market many years ago where women came up from Turkey and was just so shocked that there was this great Turkish apple available in the States because she remembers from a childhood. And that's always sort of very rewarding when when you get that sort of feedback. But actually going back to Damon, you guys are talking about Franklin County Cider Days. Franklin County Cider Days had a huge impact. Anybody out there should go to cider events. Whether Damon and I both went to CiderCon last year, I've actually fortunately been to every CiderCon since the beginning. But um, you know, John Buck is an amazing fellow in every respect. But he um, he uh, would present a main apple and tell you the history of it, and John Bunker would present a southern apple and present a history of it, and we'd all taste them, and then we then we'd vote on which apple is the best. But I did that successful years, which had a very big impact on me. And so once again, everyone should go to John Franklin's Cider Sunday Days. The next big thing I went to, by the way, very quickly, is I had the opportunity for four years to go to the USDA Orchards in Geneva, New York, where they have 20. It's a lar- one of the largest genetic repositories of apples in the, in the world. And you every year they open it once a year, you can walk the streets and taste all the different varieties of apples. And that actually blowed my mind. So the intent of our small orchard, which was my old family's old dairy farm, was to plant something in the best image of the USA orchards, but just be very, very selective of what I thought was the very, very best of what I could taste and find at the USA orchards. So that's kind of a nutshell what the whole mission statement is. So like how, how many how many trees do you have of each variety? Are there only one tree each? It's only two acres. Uh, there, there can be um, 
for the most part, two trees of each. It can be one tree of each. The ones that do really well and we love, we sell in a farmer's market. If everyone wants to go to Cope Hillsdale Farmer's Market in upstate New York, we sell our apples every weekend there. Um, and then we do the tours afterwards. But um, we have, um, you know, so there, there are varieties that we love and then we plant much larger quantities of them. But yes, it can be anything from, it can be, we have trees that have 17 varieties on one trees. They sometimes call Franken trees. We graft crazy varieties and you can have as many as a hundred, a hundred varieties or unlimited varieties on, on one tree, but we have a number of Franken trees also, but it's been an awesome, fun project. It's taken up a fortune of my time because, you know, anybody who knows anything about horticulture growing apples, it's a science in of itself. And I, I went to school for uh, dairy farming because we had a dairy farm, but, you know, growing pomology is a whole nother science in and of itself. And I, I learned the hard way, but like, fortunately, I know a lot of people, part of being in the cider industry is knowing orchardists. And I know a lot of orchardists, both me and Damon know a lot of orchardists who you can call up and, and get advice when when necessary. So over the years, I've learned, I've learned, you know, it's been it's been oh, fun. Yeah. Hey, so. I'm, I'm going to talk off topic just about a cider that, I, that I've been drinking. Um, a lot of times now I'm appreciating that there are good ciders in cans like yours. And sometimes when I'm in the Boston area, I'm able to get even Farnham Hill. And and the one I want to talk about, I don't know if you've you mentioned South, South Hill, Damon, I think you did. Um, South Hill, I remember a number of years ago, he, he started like a second line called Phonograph, which I, I do see in cans. Do you know anything about that? Do you want to say anything about it? Because I just think it's an interesting um, interesting direction. Yeah. So the South Hill brand definitely is, I don't want to say upscale, but you know, it definitely appeals to people with a bit more of a refined taste. He does a lot of single varietals and, and crazy blends, whereas his Phonograph line definitely is more geared towards like, your your drinker that has risen uh, i don't say above but has graduated from your sweet regular ciders to getting into a little bit of a craft but still is on a budget so his the phonographs like the green can which is the dry and then i think there's a semi-sweet which is the blue one those and they've actually won several awards they've won awards at glint cap and at the great american cider and wine competition and there's just a variety of, of awards that they've won and they're very great crushable easy drinking ciders they come in bottles or cans and they're just it's a great way to it's a good middle step so you've got your regular you know your commercial ciders and you have like the ciders that are at only at cideries but they maybe are still trending a little sweet to try to capture that audience but then you want something that's kind of in the mid a semi-dry semi-sweet those are a great place for that before you would go start drinking his baldwins and one of a kinds and his Perrys and things like that south Hill does a lot of great for interesting foraging around there finding wild apples as well and right now maria kennedy and greg peck are doing this amazing project looking for forage apples in New York State, uh, which is you guys, you should definitely have both those guys on, and obviously South Oak could be part of that as well. So oh, great, yeah. And just to, just to talk about phonograph, like, so that's is that an example that that the cider ind industry is growing up, that there's more people that are ready for that the next level of a, a drier cider, well made uh, but still affordable. Oh, absolutely, yes. No, oh, that's good. You guys, this is a great little intro. I'll tell you this. Originally, I wanted. I wanted to talk to, to, to Geaton and then because you've been repping him at the past couple of Saturday feasts, Damon, I, I invited you. And um, it, it's really great synergy, the two of you guys. And of course, there's so much more to learn from both of you. And I'm sure we'll have you on again. 
um, the cider scene is really exploding. I mean, just a number of podcasts that are that are really good right now. Uh, Gita, and you mentioned, I know there's um, there's Ria's show, and you mentioned that Gabe Cook has a show in England. What, what want to reference those those two cider podcasts? Yes, yeah, sure. Gabe Gabe Cook, uh, a couple other fellows started amazing. Uh, podcast in England called the Neutral Cider Hotel, and it's just phenomenal. One, I mean, I find it, they have a lot of American guests on it. Uh, I was fortunate to be one of the guests as well. But um, you, uh, they gives you a real insight into British cider, and British cider obviously has, you know, we we had a period where we there wasn't cider being made in this country for a long period, but there's obviously generational history of cider in England. So I recommend everybody to listen to the Neutral Cider Hotel. They literally logged, you know, I don't know. It's 50, 80 uh, podcasts, but it's definitely worth checking out. It's great. All right. And uh, I want to just give a plug at Cider Feast Boston. We're going to do that. Um, by the time you hear this, is probably happening, but November 12th. Um, why? Because from all of our experience doing podcasts about cider and events like Cider Feast, we've realized that there's a lot of great newer cider makers in new england and there's a lot of enthusiasm there and they don't really have something like the cider week um it's kind of that neat stage where there's there's some pioneers like farm hill but then there's a whole bunch of new ones like bird dog and and east hampton that are hyper local and just getting started um so that's november 12th in boston ron sansone since you mentioned him very important guy in our industry we're not going to talk for him but he will be there he's co-curating the event and he keeps he keeps texting me. There's always another new 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 England cider maker that that he's bringing there. So if you happen to make it to Boston, November twelfth, it's worth it. If you're interested in cider, um, it's it's still at that stage where there's, there's definitely people that are interested in cider, and um, you know it, it's there's so much going on. So big shout out for the whole New England cider scene as well as New York. So thanks, guys. Big shout out to Matt Patterson, our engineer, for. I helped putting the show together. Um, thanks, Damon and Gideon, for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thank you, guys. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.